What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Glenn, Pat, it's time for new ads. It is time for new ads. They have new sponsors. But we've also got some remaining ones as of well course. that we've got to bless them. So it turns out we're actually behind because people jumped into our Patreon and sent us much money and we didn't realise. Until they said, oh, what's happening? Yeah. Hey, where's our ads? Yeah. Here it is. We're doing it. You know where you should get dog training equipment in North America now? Who? Mojo Dog Co. Mojo Dog Co. Yeah, mojodogco.com mm. is a website. There's a real store. It's in Chicago. Yep. But it's a website you can totally go to and they pretty much sell everything. They've got mills. They've got training gear. They've got apparel. There's food. There's dog beds. Like it's a legit store. I've and been you've there. been there, haven't I've you? I've been there, yeah. Yeah, you I, witnessed I, it firsthand. You've I, um, smelt the odors. You've tasted the food. You've run on the mills. I committed theft. I stole a tub. <laughs> I think I was allowed to take it. Too late now. I've got it. I, yep. I, I just trained with it today. So basically he's paying us Patreon money for you to steal his toys. Yeah. It's okay. a it's a great Klein tug. It's fantastic. A Klein tug? Yeah. Oh, it's you know who else sells a Klein tug? Uh, who? The Buffhead. The OG Buffhead. Really? Yes, he does. He does. Yeah. He, he, in fact, he does. I got from the Buffhead a Klein flirt pole, which all the dogs favor over all the other ones. Really? Yes. They you like shouldn't that. allow toy preferences, Len. <laughs> I don't. They do. They choose what they want. We have two places that you could get dog training equipment. Yes. MojoDogCode.com. Yeah, in North America. Yeah. And Einzawiener.Buffed. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? You know what's a really cool product? The Rowdy Hound Dog Kennel. It's the kennel that attaches, like it's a crate that attaches to your motorcycle. Yeah. So you can take your dog anywhere that you're traveling if you own a motorcycle and yep. you want to take your dog with you. If safely, I owned a motorcycle, safely, if safely. I owned a motorcycle or a dog that wanted to ride one, yep. I would 100% get one. I own a motorcycle. You should get one. I should get one. You should get one. I can see you a little Frenchie hanging yep. off the back of your motorbike. Mm. Yeah, I think that Mando would probably cause me to come off my bike. He yeah. would probably rock around like crazy on yeah. that thing. But yeah, yeah little, little dog like what George Kittridge does, mm-hmm. who's a wonderful bloke and a dear friend of ours. Sponsor of the show. Sponsor of the show. And he takes his little blue healer, which mm-hmm. is an Australian dog. Mm-hmm. And George has been out here in Australia. He knows all about Australia. He mm-hmm. stayed in Australia. He's done it all. Mm-hmm. But he actually takes his little blue healer and he rides her all around the state and he teaches other people how to do it as well with their dogs. So you know, not only does he sell the product, but he trains people on how to use it as well. That's great. It is. You know, he should get everybody to do a big road trip up to Canada. Yeah. You know what they could do in Canada? What's that? Go to Dancroft. Ah, oh, Dan Croft. Geez, they could watch a puppy class there, couldn't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Woo. And they're doing seminars as well. Really? Yeah, they've got seminars, they've got teaching, they've got education. But as I spoke to Daniel, who runs Dan Croft, mm-hmm. he was telling me all about their amazing puppy classes and they do some kick-ass social media. Yeah, they do. They've got some pretty extreme type of breeds over there that they've got them all under perfect control, like all these American staffies, they've got all these bull breeds that people complain about, whinge about and say they can't be trained. And Mm -hmm. Dan Croft has them doing not only 
beautiful stays, but they also have them on balls. Mm. So they have the dog, Incredible. you know, like inside a tyre and the dog's doing beautiful drop stays while they're at peace and at harmony and somebody's walking around, all the owners are there with the dogs. They're having a great time. Incredible. Yeah. Oh, I bet those dogs are well-conditioned and healthy. Yep. Yeah. How would they do that? Probably the best way is to get yourself some canineceuticals. Have you been using it? I have actually. No shit, like jokes aside. Remy was circling the drain. He was in bad shape. And yeah. I said to Narelle, hey, I want to try and get him back in condition, mm. see how much longer I can get from him. Because like the mind is willing, but the body is weak. Yep. And so she hooked me up with all the right things and he's a million times better. In fact, he's actually better than he has been in you know probably two years. And you did a really cool social media content for Narelle the other day, which he really appreciated. I make sweet reels, bro. You do. You yep. are pretty good with your reels. Again, all jokes aside, I'm not just saying this because Narelle's my wife. I make this very clear, but she's, what? she's actually a genius with that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. When other people are sort of relaxing and kicking back, I know people are busy and they've got things to do, but Narelle reads white papers. She's doing everything. She's always looking how she can improve the standards in a dog's life. Like She actually amazes me. She's mm. very, very industrious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Mojo Dog Co. Yep. Eins a wiener. Eins a wiener. Mm-hmm. Rowdy Hound. Rowdy Hound. Dan, Dan Croft. Croft. Yep. yep. Thank you all very, very much. You guys sponsor the show. If you want to support the show, support them. Yeah, They're the place to get the gear. Yeah. And if you get into Patreon and you tick that box, just know that we don't check that very often. So yeah, so you've got to tell you us. You've got you 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 to shoot us a message. Yeah, it's fine for you to let us know. We really appreciate you. We started off our shows talking about some of our new attributes, things that we've got. Yeah. And we would never have got that without Patreon support. It's That's Patreon right. that pays our bills. All right. Enjoy the show. And our sponsors. Enjoy the sponsors. <laughs> Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart, and I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Can you hear the sleigh bells ringing? The sleigh bells ringling, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I didn't mean you had to sing a song. <laughs> we're just acknowledging that it's Christmas, like we're right on the cusp of Christmas. Well, by the time this comes out, it'll be after Christmas. It'll be... It'll uh, it will be probably Christmas. I'm, oh, this I'll, will be a Christmas episode? It'll be a Christmas episode. Hey, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Merry everyone. Christmas to the listeners, because I know that you're avoiding your family today and you're listening to our podcast instead. <laughs> you're like, fuck those guys. And you're sitting, you're like, right now, you're sitting in your car out the front of family lunch or dinner or whatever, just like, I just got to get through this episode. It's amazing the concept that people will go to so much stressful energy to spend time with their family on one day. Why don't you just pick another day and just do it any other time? It's Christmas, man. Don't be the Grinch. Oh, come on. I'm nursing a hangover. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like a bear with a sore head today. So forgive me, folks. I'm going to be slower than usual. All right. It was the manager's Christmas party. Mm -hmm. So we've had our staff Christmas party, but we had the manager's Christmas party. Yes, the elite level. We went to the one and only Mr. Wong in the city, in the CBD. It's sensational. The food there is second to none. Like mm-hmm. it's one of the best Chinese places I've ever been to. Have you been there? Yeah. Oh, sensational. Mm. But I got stuck into the food there and copious amounts of old-fashioned whiskey mixes, which mm. was just- Delicious. Oh, delicious, but just nailed me to a hill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck, sir. Yep. We're doing the upbeat episode like upbeat. we promised last time. Yeah. Guess what the topic is? Well, you did tell me, but I forgot. <laughs> Become a dog trainer in 2023. Come on, you can do it. <laughs> is that the topic? Yeah. One of the things I speak to lots of people in the industry, right? You do as well. We speak to a huge broad spectrum of people. Yep. And one of the things that 
I notice quite a lot is there's a lot of people who should be doing more than they are. I think that the dog training world suffers from a lot of imposter syndrome. I think Mm. that there's a lot of people who are way more capable than they give themselves credit for. We see this especially in the working dog space, trying to get PSA growing in this country. The majority of people that I talk to, the majority of people that come to events that I teach, they are professional dog trainers. They are either just at the back end of being a hobbyist dog trainer and looking to go full-time professional, or they have just done that. And the majority of those people are really good. They're really good on the tools. They're very good with their own dog, but chances are their own dog is, you know, like a rescue that they got, or it's their initial dog that got them into dog training. And they have this hesitation about getting a performance dog because they know how hard it is. Mm. The majority of the people that we do see come into the bite sports are like people that are like, oh, I watched John Wick and now I bought a Malinois. (laughs) (laughs) And and they do good because it's not that hard, right? Like if you're prepared to make the changes, if you're prepared to put in the work, if you're prepared to do the travel, if you're prepared to learn the things you need to learn, it's not like it's some dark art. One of the things that pisses me off is a lot of people want to be gatekeepers of these things. And I think, in fact, we need the opposite. I think we need to cut the padlock off the gates, invite people in, help them as much as possible, teach them as much about this stuff as we possibly can so that we can progress forward and we can keep the sports that we love going. Mm. So fuck yeah, you can do this, everybody. Step it up. Go to the next (laughs) level in whatever that is for you in 2023. You are right. You know what you said before. It's not hard. It's uh, It can be cumbersome. Mm -hmm. It can be Mm time-consuming, but it's not hard. It's long-term incremental shaping Mm -hmm. when you look at it. Same thing as going to the gym building muscles. It's just exactly the same thing. You start off, it's confusing, you're not sure what to do, but then you find that you get into a rhythm and you understand that it gets easier as you go along. It starts making more sense. All of the planning that is attributed to it, everything starts to slowly slot into place because you are more aware of what you need to do. Yep. The start of everything is always very confusing. Like, And that Dunning-Kruger effect does certainly come into play. Of course. You, you get a little bit of knowledge. You think you're killing it. Then you realize you're not. Then you feel like you are a little bit again. And you go in and out of momentum with the way you feel about things and the, how you're actually managing yourself and managing your dog, more importantly. Mm-hmm. To simplify it, I mean, there is obviously complications and everything, but again, it becomes part of that recognition. And then you develop a knowledge database yourself. And when you're networking with people and you start to meet people, which is also beneficial when you're actually getting into anything that is the attributed hobby, can insert anything into that bracket. But once you sort of do get there, you start meeting people, you get introduced to more people, they show you something else, you can add something to your target. And the wealth of knowledge available at your fingertips when you can get onto online and you can start seeing people do cool stuff and you can say, well, that's kind of like the stuff that I had imaging in my head, which I want to do too. I want to replicate that same sort of stuff. Exactly. It's pretty cool. I reckon we're going to talk about what is a dog trainer and how is a dog trainer employed? And I think there's a bit of a spectrum to that. Mm. Then I want to talk about the idea of coaching within the dog space I then want to take us on a journey and we're going to talk about the Helsinki bus depot story, which is um, a little bit exciting. We're going to talk about that, something I heard about recently. Then we're going to talk about limiting beliefs and then we're going to talk about goal setting. That's our aim for today. And everybody's going to finish up and they're going to be like, fuck yeah, I'm going to step it up. I'm going to go to the next level in 2023. I reckon, dog trainers, I think that we sort of, there's two 
categories that you put your dog training into. Now there's like, like loads of different areas across dog training, right? Like there's, you can train dogs to do all different things and there's different domains. But I think as a dog trainer, there's kind of two ways that you're employed. And most dog trainers, it's not necessarily that you are one or the other. I think very often we play both roles. One is where you are the steerer of the ship, right? Like one is where you are like, I am the trainer. I'm here. I'm here to deliver the information. And what I say is what needs to happen for this dog. And I think that's how people get a little bit scared of coming into the dog training space. I think that people look at the idea of that leadership role, because that's what that is. You're stepping into the the role of like, I'm in charge here. I'm coming up with the training program and I'm going to decide on what, you know, it's usually because there's an issue with the dog or whatever. That's how you get called into these things. I'm going to decide on the path that we take. And I think that is one of the intimidating parts about the industry that some people are a little bit concerned about stepping up to that next level and actually taking control of that. The other part is where you're the doer of the things that need to be done for the dog, but somebody else has decided that. So, you know, I am very often employed in both of these roles. Regularly, I flick the switch on that. People will come to me and they say, hey, I'm lost. I have no direction. I don't know what to do, or I'm unsure on like how to get myself out of this. And in those instances, I take charge and I say, hey, yep, I know the path out, or I think I do. I've seen this before, or I've seen something similar. I know the plan. I can come up with it. No worries. Here we go. Mm. The other times is when I get a call from somebody and they say, hey, man, I need your help with this. This is often as a decoy. Sometimes as a decoy, I'm there to do specific things with the dog. But other times I'm just a guy that owns a bite suit and can catch a dog because the person who's doing the training knows what they're doing. They just need somebody to help them. Sometimes I run a line for people. They know what they're doing, but they need someone who can help within the training session that has the skill set to run the line for them. Sometimes I'm running the collars or whatever. There's all these different aspects of the training. And so one of the things that I think that like an action step you can take to stepping up to being the person that decides on the training trajectory of other people's dogs is involving yourself more and more in the assisting of people who do know what they need done. They just need an extra set of hands to do it. And that is the effect of dog training clubs, dog sport clubs. It doesn't need to be a bite sport. It could be anything at all. One of the reasons that we have clubs is because many things are a multi-person thing. Mm. Much of dog training is multi-person training. Whether you know, and in the bite sports, we know this for sure because we need helpers, we need decoys, we need all these sorts of things. But in every other instance, like you're, if you're competing in any sport, there's going to be a judge. So you need somebody to simulate the judge. Depending on how you're training things, you need people to run lines for you. You need all these different bits and pieces throughout the sports. You need people's help. Mm. It doesn't matter whether you're doing bite sports or herding, right? You need people with the sheep and you need people to fulfill the positions that you're going to do. So being one of those people, I think, is a fantastic step towards being the person who decides on the trajectory of the training. I think that putting yourself in a position to be an extra set of hands, now sometimes you can get paid for that. Sometimes that's something that you get paid for. Other times it's just being as part of a club and you're not getting paid, you're just giving your time. Mm. But the thing is you are getting a return on that because you are then under somebody else's training program and you get to see what they want to do with their dog and it's their rodeo you're just a part of it. Then you get to find out whether it works or not. You get to practice your skills. You get to see something start to finish. You get to check out a technique that maybe you wouldn't have thought of yourself and you're a part of it. The person has no choice but to further educate you in doing it because they need your help in the process. What do you think of that, sir? Well said. Everything you said, I validate all of it. I think to simplify it, the way that we've talked about it in past episodes, 
a dog trainer is somebody fundamentally involved in actually physically training dogs. An instructor is somebody who is fundamentally involved in training people while they're training dogs. Mm -hmm. And you can have amalgamations of both. There are plenty of people that work for me who do both roles. So Verity, who's my training supervisor, her role throughout the day is training dogs. Most of the day, she's in and out of the kennels pulling dogs out. So she really fits the category of a dog trainer. Mm -hmm. However, there are times where she is instructing people when she's handing the dog back and she gives the dog to the client and says, okay, well, now I'm going to coach you. Now she's an instructor. Mm -hmm. She's coaching people. She's mentoring what they're doing and she's managing their program. So that role ebbs and flows. It changes. It does what it does. I don't think there are any absolute definitions. It is what we need it to be, I guess. But I think that's probably the closest definitions in my own mind if Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about what a trainer is versus what a coach or a mentor or an instructor are. There's been plenty of times where people have asked that question. I've seen that question being bandied around online multitudes of times. And I think when I've seen it answered well, I concur and I agree with those definitions. Hands-on most of the time, dog trainer talking to clients while they're training their own dog or even while they're sitting in a room taking notes, then you're a mentor, a coach, an instructor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think that what I think more people in the dog training space need to do is fill both those roles. Yes. I was listening to you before. I didn't want to interrupt you while you're speaking. I know you and I both agree on this. Multiples of us do in the industry, and that is make yourself useful somehow. Yeah. And that's really one of the key criteria of when people are coming down to clubs when they want to learn, when they want to shadow. Like we get people asking us if they come down shadow and so forth. And there's just times where it's impractical. We Mm -hmm. just can't do it. And there are other times where people come down, they've turned up and either seen me or seen one of the trainers. And let me phrase it into when they see me, when they come down. And they say, oh, you know, like, what should I do? And I said, make yourself useful. Mm -hmm. You've got an opportunity to come down and follow somebody around who's giving you a day of their time. Don't forget, sometimes it's an inconvenience for the person who's doing it, but they're doing it nonetheless Mm -hmm. because, as you pointed out, they validate that there's a need to show more people how to do these skills. Like, I think at one stage there was plenty of information out there that there was a massive shortage of apprentices, Mm -hmm. people that just aren't uptaking a lot of those roles. Suddenly, for some reason, that's happened in dog training a lot at the moment as well. Since the days of COVID, there are people out there who are training dogs. There are people out there who are doing well-training dogs but there's nowhere near the level of people applying to be dog trainers that there used to be. I used to be swatting them away like flies. Now, if I put an ad in for dog trainers, I get very little uptake from it. Mm. And that's not just me. Like I've spoken to dozens of other people where they said, where did all the people go who wanted to become a dog trainer? And I said, I don't know. There just seems to be a shortage of skills and people around the world at the moment. I'm not sure what it is where take me back three years there would be an endless list of people wanting to be a dog trainer. Yeah, right. Do you reckon that's people wanting to become a dog trainer like full stop or that's people looking to be employed as a dog trainer at a place? Both. You reckon? Yeah. We were just talking about the club scenario for Mm. argument's sake. That's not exploding. Mm. It's not really going anywhere. It's sort of treading water at this point in time and that's why I think you had an ambition to talk about this as a subject matter Mm. because there are people out there but – For some reason or another, there's a lot of apathy that's out there at the moment. Well, I'll tell you what prompted me to 
want to give this pep talk to the people. Yeah. Uh, pep talk to the people. Pep talk to the people. Yep. We promised them an upbeat episode we, for starters. Okay. Be prepared to be pepped. <laughs> but <laughs> I was in the Inner West Dog Trainers group. So I was on Facebook and this post came up and it was from the Inner West Dog Owners group, Inner West Dog Owners. So it's just pet people in my area. And this guy had this post saying that his two-year-old dog had just had a little bit of lead aggression on lead, obviously, and was just had displayed a little bit of it off lead and was going to get a trainer. He gave two names and was like, what do people think of these guys? Now, one of them I know to be terrible. The other one I hadn't heard of. And I read the comments and the comments were, get that dog to a veterinary behavioralist immediately, right? Don't go to any dog trainers. They're all shit. But then there was a list of, you know, they were all positive force-free people. And all the comments within there was, these are the only people that you should go to. Do not take your dog to any of the other trainers in the area. And what I felt bad for this guy was he's going to, he just is like, you know, clearly he, from his description, he has a two-year-old dog that's just sort of pushing some buttons and needs a correction. That's really it. And and it would be a two-second fix. It would be a, like, because it wasn't like he was saying the dog was over the top. It was just beginning to show some aggression on lead and a, like one instance of it off leash, two-year-old dog. You and I look at that and go, like, you know, from that description, we're not there with the guy. But it, to me, that's like, oh, okay. Like, let me just check that you've got boundaries and structure in place. Let me just mm. check that you are reinforcing the dog and that, that you have a, a relationship. Okay, all that's in place. Okay, next time the dog goes off at another dog like that, we give him a correction, we redirect into something you have, we manage the situation, we just show him, hey, that behavior is not allowed. Exactly. Right? And it would be a two-second fix. It would be a totally easy thing. And I looked and this guy's going to end up with his dog on drugs without a doubt. Like I looked at the list of people that he was being referred and without a doubt, he's going to end up at a veterinary behavioralist and his dog's just going to be drugged up. And they're going to say, the dog's got all these issues. Dog's going to be zonked out for the rest of its life. It's not actually going to fix any of the issues. He's still going to have those same problems, but just slower. Yep. Right. He was like, he wants this fixed. And I was like, who can I refer to this guy near to me? Who can I say, go to this person? And I was like racking my brain. There's not that many people around that have the time to get to that. And that's why I was like, shit, we need more competent dog trainers. Mm. Exactly to your point, there's so many people I know who could manage that perfectly, but there's a lot of hesitation to step up to doing it. And I think that in the dog training world, we're gatekeepers more than we need to be. I think that we try and the industry itself for many reasons causes a fair amount of exclusion to the people who really should be doing it. Now we put up all these walls, we put up all these barriers. We say that, you know, you've got to have the right education, all these things that are true, but the only people that hear that and heed that warning are the people that do have all those levels of education and are aware of it, but also suffer from self-doubt because the people who are stepping up to the plate have done next to no training and they're going to like throw cookies at the dog and do nothing Mm. or And I will acknowledge this as well, is there's a lot of people that are just going to turn up and throw a check chain on the ground in front of the dog and that sort of outdated stupid shit that makes no sense, right? So I think that the majority of the, like, and this is, I think, our probably our core listenership. I think this is the majority of the people that are listening. You're really good. You're quite competent with dogs, but it's just a case of now saying, like, I'm going to take the next step. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to start servicing clients. I'm going to step outside my comfort zone are you going to make mistakes? Fuck yeah, of course you're going to. Are you going to do the wrong thing by a couple of dogs every now and again? Yep, for sure. There's no way of avoiding that. Are you going to put yourself in situations that you maybe shouldn't? 
There's no way to avoid that. At some point, it's going to happen. But you know about those things. And so you're going to do those things less than somebody who isn't aware of those things and just bumbles through life and still manages to be okay. So that's what I want is that more people, because if you're listening to this show, you're into it, right? Mm. Like you're into the dog training space. If you're listening to this podcast and you're 200 something episodes in, you probably are more highly educated than the majority of the educators in the dog training space, purely by the fact that you've listened to us spew bullshit for five years. And we have probably pointed you to other people by having them on the show, by talking about them. You've probably researched it. You've looked around, you've followed the network. You're probably one of the better dog trainers getting around. You just haven't acknowledged that just yet. Good point. To add to that, and you're just filling me with images in my head as you were bantering along. There's conversations I've had with students over many years. They are intimidated by what they see online Mm -hmm. because the images that are often put up by very seasoned dog trainers, a lot of it is the best of the day. It's the best five minutes of the two hours that they were filming their dog with. 100%. So we all know that. We've spoken about it. And that intimidates a lot of people. But as I've said, when we've been doing classes before and there's been a new batch of student dog trainers coming out, there's plenty of ads that used to be on TV where you get this jacked man or woman sitting there with some piece of equipment that some company wanted to bring out. And it was making it look like, oh, they just used this and they got that jacked. Of course. And that's exactly what I try and tell them happens in the dog training world. They either A, want you to look at something or B, want you to buy something. But the point is, if you went back two or three years ago, you'd be watching a clumsy motherfucker fumbling around, falling over their feet, getting frustrated with the dog. And I said, that's every single person I know. Nobody walked into this and just aced it. Mm -hmm. They were shit. They were terrible. They fell over. I did. You did. Everybody did. Everybody went, what the fuck am I doing? This is crazy. You know, I'd look terrible. Filming yourself and then thinking, oh, no, I'm going to bin that. That was just horrible. Mm -hmm. That happens, guys. Don't let that stop you. Don't let fear shut you down and make you walk away from something that you really wanted to do and you had dreams of doing it. I remember watching this clip ages ago where this little kid was singing. The little kid had a beautiful voice and one of the parents said, oh, you sound ridiculous. You don't sound like that song at all. You could just see that level of shutdown from that kid. I didn't see what happened after that. It was just a clip on the internet. And I thought to myself, that little kid will probably never, ever sing ever again because mm. the person they trusted to, you know, raise them up and help them out in it, the first person they believed in, their first hero in life, basically told them, your shit, don't ever do that again. Mm-hmm. You know, and that happens quite easily in the dog training space as well. There's a lot of people who try to do something. One person gives them a berating who's usually in a zero person on the internet anyway but that person gives them a berating, they never pick up the lead again mm-hmm. or they never really try. They never really aim to go further mm-hmm. and they really suffer over it. Yeah, there's I agree. some. You and I have received a lot of listener emails where people have echoed those very words to us, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I got shut down and I never want to go again. I've listened to you guys talking or it might not even be us. It could be Luke and Panos or other people who have got some quality podcasts or reaching out to people or YouTube clips like Larry Crone and Jay and Chad, whoever. There's just an endless name of men and women out there who put out some good content. Mm-hmm. That helps people. That gets into their hearts and minds that, you know, maybe I can give this another shot. Totally. And that's what you really need to think about is that rather than just think I had one go at it, somebody said I look foolish and that's it. You know, I'm never going to do that again. Hell, if that was the case for me, I would have given up a year ago 
a year before that because there's always something that people will say looks awesome or look shit, mm-hmm. you know, and you can have two different people looking at it from two different viewpoints and one person will praise it another one will put it down. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the industry. That's yeah, what it is. Totally. You do need to develop some thick skin and some teeth in this industry. You have to. If it's a peer, somebody that I trust and they're giving me advice, they'll usually be much kinder about it as well. They'll usually offer it far more constructively. You know, when they're talking to you, they'll offer it as training advice to say, okay, you've done this. I'd really prefer that you consider doing it this way. So they come at you with constructive feedback and advice on how you can improve your standards from there. And then you can improve your criteria quite easily. Where other people who just shut you down and tell you a piece of shit or anything like that, there's an endless supply of those people out there. Mm. They're all over the internet. Unfortunately, they're part of your family or whatever. Don't let them take up rent in your head. Don't give them space. Yep, I agree. In line with what you're saying, I think that everybody in the dog training space has to remember, well, not just dog training space. I mean, life in general is that social media is fake, right? Mm. And for the most part, what people who are successful on social media are doing, especially let's take in, let me use myself as an example. Not that I'm overly successful, but I make a bunch of stuff for Instagram. Is that's art. That's got nothing to do with dog training. And you like doing it. It's fun. I enjoy doing it. It's fun to me. But like the process is, Mm. so like at the moment I'm training that bulldog, right? Mm. I'm filming every session. I have filmed every interaction I've had with the dog. One of the cool things about that dog is like, I have the opportunity to train it to a pretty high level and nobody else is handling it. And I don't have to live with the dog. I've never picked up one shit he's ever done. It's fantastic. Right. (laughs) And so I get these blocks where I can train him and he may as well be my dog. But the issue with like filming sessions with my own dog is, is that you're never not training, right? Mm-hmm. So you miss bits and pieces. There's things that aren't filmed because it's just life. You're not setting up the camera. I don't live in the big brother house, right? I can't yeah. capture everything. But with that dog, I go, I train him and then that's it. We're done for the day. So I'm filming it all and I have an idea with a, a bigger project of that, right? But what I do to make those reels is I then sit on Instagram. I look for trending music, Right. I find a song or you know, music clip, whatever, that's that's trending. I listen to it with my eyes shut and I imagine, okay, how can I fit something into this? What can a dog be doing like this? Then when I find the music, I then go into the footage and you know, each session with that dog goes between sort of 11 and 20 minutes roughly, right? Mm. And so I then go through 20 minutes of footage and I'm looking for seven seconds that fits that music Mm. and is worth watching that I can speed up, slow down, pan the camera, do all kinds of fancy editing things to create what I think is seven seconds of entertainment for someone as they're scrolling through their feed. Right. And maybe they follow me and maybe I eventually get them into my marketing funnel and maybe they come to a seminar and maybe they buy my online course. That's how social media works. Right. And so I think you must not compare yourself to the benchmark of somebody else's social media content because that is the seven seconds of a 20-minute session that was the cool part to show. And it's kind of irrelevant anyway because, like, I put music over this shit, so you have kind of no idea what I'm even saying and what what the intent Mm. is, what's going on. It's just a bit of interesting, hey, here's what I'm up to, and I made it look cool. Yep. Right? That's it. So apply that template, because I'm super transparent about it, to everybody's social media content that you see of them doing something rad. That is not how it goes all the time. And so don't compare the seven seconds of somebody doing something cool to your entire session with a dog and think, I'm not at that standard. 
they aren't at that fucking standard for most of the session. It's that they found the seven seconds that's worth using online. I think that's probably the most honest and the best review of social media in dog training I've ever heard. That was just nice, raw, and honest. Yeah. Well, I tried well, to Bravo, be. sir. Thank you, sir. That was an impressive review. Mm. Mm. I'll tell you, on that dog, I'm enjoying training that dog. It is a lot of fun. He, I, he looks like a lovely big buffet. He's a lot of dog. Mm. He's a lot and represents some unique challenges. Yeah. I'm not sure what the plan is with him. I intend to compete, but I'm not, I don't know in what. Whether it's he just does GRC or whether we push and see if I can get bite work going or he'll what do I something. do. For sure he'll do something. Yeah. And a you'll find that fun. out as he evolves into his training yeah, he's, program. He's only 18 months, which for a bully like that is still a very immature dog. So mm. there's still a lot of time to go. But I'm enjoying it a lot. Anyway, moving on. As you were talking about this, it brought up more thoughts and images about some people that I've had in my life. And one of the things that I normally say when I'm teaching student trainers or whatever you want to call them is an exciting thing for me is always watching people develop, like Mm -hmm. develop a business. I always said, you know, I'd love to see somebody doing their own online course. I'd love to see somebody taking up space, knowing that I was there at the start. Not necessarily that I get the credit for who they became, but the fact that I gave them the push. And uh, that happened recently. There's a friend of mine up in Newcastle, Lewis Freitas, I think his last name is. Lewis Freitas, yeah. Yeah. He wrote a book recently. I'm so proud of him. He's always been such a lovely and honourable guy. He's always got a kind word to say. Is he in Newcastle? I thought he was right up north. I thought he's, He's up north that way. He's up around that way. Yeah, no, I thought he was like Townsville kind of area. I no, was... I don't think he's. I don't oh, okay. think he's that far. I think he's up. Look, he could be. I might be right off the chain here. He wrote a book the other day, and I saw him post it online. I thought, man, good on you. Yeah. You know, that's what I want to see people doing. Sometimes you're right. We become very guarded and very sentinel about these sort of things sometimes. But if we really look at it, the purpose that we have to bring to this world is if somebody gave us information or we collected or collated information that was really solid, it's the responsibility of people to pass on the best of what they know. Mm -hmm. Then it's the responsibility of the recipients to take the best of that and amalgamate it with the best of somebody else's and hopefully make this better hybrid program that's ultimately better. And then somebody's going to go, you know what, you've just taken all of the heat out of it for me because- the struggle on the left and the struggle on the right isn't what I'm going to struggle with anymore because you've perfectly combined it in the middle. And that new column that you've created for me is sensational. And then somebody else will come along and they will do likewise. They'll audit it and they'll find out what's clunky and they will find out what's music. And they will say, now I can actually create or develop a program that's even better. This is the only way we get better in this industry. This is the only way we start having better evolutions it may not be a huge thing. It may be, and it often is, just a tiny little thing. But that tiny little thing, that tiny, tiny little course correction that you make, if you look at that on an angle, like if you're comparing an angle and you looked at that over a long distance of time, that course correction made massive ripples. Mm, subtension. You know, subtension, yeah. yeah. The same thing happens for people who are shooting rifles. That mm-hmm. Just that little twitch mm-hmm. makes all the difference to where the bullet will travel. Mm. And it's the same thing when people make those tiny little incremental changes and suddenly over time you just see a massive effect that starts to span into something absolutely wonderful. On books, do you think you'll ever write one? I have one that I'm halfway through, but it's not a dog training book. It's it's more of 
there's so many dog training books out there that I just don't think that I would do it justice by mm. developing another dog training book. It's more a how I fell into this industry mm-hmm. and like a what, story. It's a, it's, it's a, a story. story. Yeah. It's more of a story. It's more of a, do you think you'll finish it? I would like to, but it's a bit painful sometimes because there's a lot of vulnerability that I'm talking about. Yeah. Same. And, so, <laughs> and sometimes I find myself, I wrote about three chapters of it and I sat down and reread it and I thought, fuck, there's some difficult stuff to talk about there. Yeah. Much like everybody else, man, we all have trials and tribulations in our life. I didn't have a good, a really good childhood at times. At times I had a wonderful one like everybody else, but there were things that really, you know, when we're talking about using that example before about parents saying to that kid, don't do that. You sound ridiculous. I had some of those pretty fucking dark moments when I was a kid, like many other people, I found completeness through a dog. I felt like half a person for most of my life until Mm. a dog came along and the dog completed me. Mm. That was the conversation I've had with a lot of other people. Like I think people connected with you and me over stories that we've told over that. And I've had good online stories where people and I have talked into the night about that exact same thing. They said, man, I resonate with that. I feel that. I felt like a different person that I just didn't belong. I think some of the unkind things that were said to me as a child that stopped me from doing a lot of things. But in essence... Who would I be now if I didn't have that? Yeah, that's a crazy thing. And that's the weird thing that I look at. And I remember speaking to one of the guys that I went to have a a couple of sessions with when my head wasn't right and I needed to talk to someone as a therapist. And he posed that same question to me. He said, look at who you are now because of the things that happened to us. We don't know the direction. He said, smooth sailing doesn't always make sailors. Mm. And I've seen that echoed in other sayings before. And I thought, fuck, you're right. Yeah. I think I've talked about it before. Like I knew two guys at the same time that were really good example of one zigged and the other zagged. And they're completely different lives with the exact same personality types. And one ended up the CO of my unit and the other was the like an apex bikey. Oh, he yes. Was, yeah. I remember you telling that story. Yeah, yeah. He was like the apex bikey in Australia. Yep. They were almost the same guy. Spoke the same, looked the same. Everything was similar. Only one zigged and the other zagged when they were kids mm. and led these parallel lives. So they never, I'm sure they never met, but I knew them both and could see like just minor changes. But their personality is the same, but- they just thought differently about things. Very interesting how those effects as a child and what happens and where that can steer you. Super interesting. It is a very fascinating topic. And I look back and I think like many people, you tend to focus a little bit about the damage a little bit too much sometimes. Mm. It kind of haunts you a bit. Mm. Don't get me wrong. You know, like I know people who have endured way worse than I did, like way worse physical and extreme sexual violence imposed on them as little children and stuff like that. Although I had some pretty harrowing physical times with a step-parent, there are other stories that colleagues and and even friends in the past have told me and shared a footprint of what they went through as a child, and it's fucking horrible. Mm. It's just devastating to hear what they went through. So as the therapist that I spoke to, he said, everybody's trauma is your own trauma. You only know what you know. Mm. Even children that were born in privilege who never had any of that happen to them but were ignored by parents, he said that can be a fucking traumatic experience for them as well. Yeah. Well, the worst thing that's ever happened to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Yes, that's right. Exactly right. Yeah. I mean, we've all gone through some shit. You often tell stories about stirring in the cream or stirring in the shit in some of the stories that you lead up into into your Mm -hmm. courses. 
sometimes we need some of that to wake us up sometimes or to soften us up or to heal us up or a little bit. But the whole book thing, getting back to the whole book idea, it's there. I have a book in me. Sometimes I just, I don't know whether I really want to share it or not. Yeah. I have a few ideas for books. Jane actually has written this great kids book. She's just waiting to finish the illustrations of it that we kind of came up with together. It will come out. I think next year is going to be a big year. Not like I'm like news resolutioning it, but I've just got the time and space and I've figured out the systems to allow myself to do a lot of the creative projects that I want to do. Yeah. And so I want to sort of educate kids on dog stuff. That's a great idea. But at the sort of four-year-old level. like, And so the parents are still reading it to the kids. So I want to sort of educate the parents a little bit as well. And so it's a dog training book. It is about dog training but it's for four-year-olds. Yep. And I sort of outlined it and, and we came up with a bunch of ideas and then Jane did the rhyming and she really wrote it. She wrote it and we're just kind of waiting to illustrate it and then we're going to – it's part of a series. But then I've got a couple of other ideas. But I, as a book writer, am a bit like those people that I meet when I say, oh, I was in the army and they're like, yeah, I was going to join the army so it's basically the same. <laughs> 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 I do that with people where they're like, oh, I'm an author. And I go, yeah, I've got an idea for a book. I'm basically the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a piece of shit I am. <laughs> it's just time, man. And it's hard. So that's the thing. I always have this great reverence for people who have like – done that like no fuck it i'm doing the. i'm getting in front of the computer and i'm doing it like i'm hashing out the time and i think that what i struggle with those sorts of creative projects is i've got so many other things going on and you know this is an interesting technique that i've just learned it's allowed me to be more successful in a few things that i needed to finish was you know in this sort of age there's so many things there's so many things going on and you can so easily distract yourself and now when i allocate time to something that is a struggle for me to do especially creative projects like that is like I allocate an hour or whatever, two hours, half a day, whatever. And I sit down in front of the computer and I turn everything else off, close every window, put everything on, do not disturb. And I say to myself, you don't have to do the work because you can't force that, Mm. but you're not doing anything else. Right. So you have to restrict, you can't do anything else. You can't, can't look at your phone, can't watch TV, can't put on a YouTube video in the background, you're not putting on music, you're staring at a blank screen and you can either stare at the blank screen. That's fine. You don't have to do the work or you can do the work. And I'm finding lately that that's quite effective at getting the work done. Mm, so I'm going to be strategy. using that more as a strategy next year. Mm. I enjoy it. Anyway, shall we carry on? Yeah. As I've stipulated before, the canine paradigm. That was the book. That was the book. That was a title for the book at one stage, but I just thought you and I had lots of, stories that we could share through this. So this kind of is a running novel. Yeah. That is we should get a ghostwriter to <laughs> write us a book from the podcast. You, yeah. you could do that. Can you? Yeah. There's um, people that do that for a job. Hmm. An author I really enjoy, a guy called Ryan Holiday, writes about uh, stoicism. Yep. The obstacles, the way, ego is the enemy. Oh, yeah. Yep. I've read his book. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He does quite a lot of ghostwriting. I listened to an interesting podcast he did about how having to deal with the fact that he wrote a book that did really well. He couldn't say what book it was. And he's like, I wrote the book. It's a huge bestseller and it's outperformed any book that I've got my name on. And he's like, I have to kind of deal with the the reality of that, that I'll never get the credit for it. No yep. one will ever know that I wrote that book. It's wow. got somebody else's name on it, but he has to deal with that. I thought that was, it's a very interesting conversation. That yep. would be frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. You're inspired. You're thinking you want to become a dog trainer now, or you're going to step up your dog training. If you're still listening. <laughs> <laughs> you finished us talking about it. 
One of the things that I think happens in the dog training space is sometimes we get, there's two kind of things that happen. One is that people just get accused of copying others, right? And that I think is frankly outrageous because in terms of how they train dogs, because like, that's how you fucking learn. You learn from someone and you do what they taught you to do. Mm. The other thing we see is people who are like hell bent on having something new and different and they, they try and reinvent the wheel and they try and say like just something stupid so that it's different. It's a point of difference. And I think that there's a little bit of a path to developing authenticity and there's a story, it comes to us from this guy called Arno Minkinen. He's a Finnish American guy. And this is from the photography world. This is where I heard of it, right? And it's, yep. it's the story of the Helsinki bus depot. And so what happens at the Helsinki bus depot, all the buses leave this one place and they all go down this one main street together. And so if you're a, a rider of the bus, the first three, four, five stops are all the same. Everybody doesn't matter which bus you get on, mm. they're all the same. And it's not until much later on that then the buses start to go their separate ways and they head out all throughout the city. And he references that to when you're developing your art and dog training is an art, right? It's a skill. It's an art. When you're developing it, the first couple of stops are going to be the same as everybody else. You just have to acknowledge that. You just have to be like, hey, look, I'm doing a good job. And people will say, you're training the dog exactly the way Bart does. And you go, okay, yep, well, I am. And then you do a couple more courses, you get a bit better. And then people say, oh, that looks very TWC. And you go, oh, fuck yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll do a couple more, spend some more time. Oh, did you learn that from Michael Ellis? Yeah, I did. But the trick is stay on the bus, right? Because eventually you go along these stops and you start realizing, oh, I can merge this with this. And you develop your own style eventually. Yep. But that doesn't happen quickly. 100%. And so I think when I heard about this, and it was in reference to photography, like I say, but I think this is super relevant in that, say, Tar Hill's a good example of this, right? So Tar Hill, you go do your six-month course there and people leave there super competent, but in a particular style and what they're doing. And then they do some other stuff and it's like, oh, okay, I can fit that. But I'm not throwing out what I learned at Tar Hill. I'm going to do another course and now I know a bit more about this and maybe I start playing with that and my training looks like that and less like what I learned from Jerry. And then I add more pieces and before too long, five, six years later on, your training is really indistinguishable from who you learned it from because now you've drawn from many sources and you have your own style that is yours. And it's heavily influenced. Nobody's making anything new anymore. But the way that you move, the way that you interact, the buttons you push, the things that you teach, the foundations that you set, all those sorts of things have to eventually become your own. But they don't start that way and you shouldn't try to start that way. It's totally fine to acknowledge that the first few stops on the bus for everybody are the same. You do whichever course you want. You learn from whoever it is you want to learn from. And anybody looking at you will be able to pick that straight away. And mm -hmm. they'll say, oh, that's who you learned it from. Congratulations. No authenticity. And it doesn't matter. At that point, it doesn't matter. What is important is that you stay on the bus and you go to the next bus stop. And at the next bus stop is another skill level. It could have been the same as the first one, but it's different. It's the next stop. It's a new way of looking at things. And you master that one, and then you go on to the next one. Now, that might be, in photography, he, Arno Minkinen's explanation, it's years. He thinks of it in years. But we don't need to think of it like that. We need to think of it in, like, mastery of a type of training. Yeah. So it's like you master one. It doesn't matter how long it takes you to do it. And when people look at your training and they say, oh, you're just doing what whoever does – 
You go, yeah, that's who I learned it from. The fuck do you want from me? Fuck off, right? Mm. Don't try and reinvent the wheel early. There was a post that got put up many years ago. I didn't see it. It was in a different group, but someone screenshot it and sent it to me. And it was a video of me doing something with a dog. And it was a long time ago, this post. And it said, one of the comments was, oh, fucking Pat Stewart, Bart's shill never had an original idea in his life. And I was like- Really? Yeah. In our group? No, no, it was in a different group. Oh, right. right. And yeah. someone sent it to me. And I was like, no shit. What am I going to reinvent dog training? Like, how am I going to have an original idea in dog training? I'm fucking, I've only been doing this professionally for like 10 years. Mm. <laughs> how am I going to have an original idea at something that human beings have been doing for 10,000 years? Fuck off with you. Never had an original idea. Mm. Right. So like, you just have to acknowledge that you're not reinventing anything. You learn from the people that you learn from, get really good at it. And then go to the next step and go, okay, I'm ready for some new information. Even if if a lot of it's the same, but there's a different ethos, a different style, whatever, get good at that. And eventually your bus starts to go on a different route from all the rest. All the rest is the first few stops are all the same. We learn from the people, but then you can start to develop your own art and your own style and your own things of what you think is important, what you think is the foundation. Because that's what I think is very interesting when you talk to like the really good trainers what they think is the foundation things to teach is largely the same, but not exactly the same, Mm. right? Like they don't have to agree on this kind of stuff because it is fluid. And the foundations of of training a dog will depend on what that dog is ultimately going to be and how you want those things to look. So again, to use an example, because it's fun for me again, to be training a a dog from scratch with no endpoint inside us. It may as well be my own dog. I don't have any targets to hit beyond what I want to do training this bully, I've like done some things I've never done before and had to look at him from the, like, what are you like? You're not a Mally, right? Like I have a lot of experience in training that kind of dog to a very high level, Mm. but now you're something different. How do I lay a foundation in exercises and communication that is relevant to you and the things I intend to teach you going forward, knowing only that I want flashy, powerful behaviors, but not what those behaviors are going to be, right? So that's a different foundation to the foundation I put onto Remy, totally different foundation. I've also sort of limiting myself a little bit because of the way that I interact with a dog is I'm not using food. And so it's all play. I'm teaching everything through play. That's a new and exciting challenge. So for me, in that regard, I feel like my bus, I'm not on the same route as everybody else anymore. But I have been for a long time. And when I get to the point where it's time to draw from the information that I have from them, I can. I can mm. totally pull from it. But as is, I'm aggregating the information that I've spent you know, a decade learning and I can implement that in a way that feels good to me. But I didn't rush to that point. And I think trying to rush to that point is a problem that people get themselves into and also feeling uncomfortable in when you are just copying somebody else is also a problem because that's totally fine. That's the whole point. That's how you get educated by people. That's exactly how the system works. Mm. When people teach you things, you're meant to digest it, play with it, work through it, get good at it, and then move on to the next thing. If that wasn't the case, all the musicians that people love throughout their entire career and throughout all the genres would never have become who they were. Yeah without doing that same advice. I've talked about it many times this year and throughout the last couple of years where I've been fumbling through as a guitarist. Mm -hmm. And I still consider myself a beginner because I am. I'm practicing every night. I dedicate time every night to do it. And as I've said, I, I notice I'm getting a little better here and there. But 
I've still got to be on that bus mm-hmm. and, and there's no way that I can get off it. I'm not at a level where I could start exploring away from that level. I'm just not ready for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've tried to do it before. I've tried to rush it and it sounds terrible. Everything you do becomes clunky, unorthodox. You discover a few things, but then you discover this is the reason why I still need to be on the bus, to use your example. That's happened many times in dog training as well. Like when I've done courses with people and I've thought, oh, I kind of know this. I'll just fast track to the end. And you think, no, you don't. You Mm. don't actually know it. Their system is their system. And there's a reason why they intricately laced everything up that way is because you need to do it to follow it through. Mm -hmm. You need to know what you need to know in order to transpire to the next level. The evolution, it's like chapters of the book. If you start at the start and you just flip to the end, you think, I kind of got an idea of the story, but there's a, a shitload of information I'm missing. And then when you read the book, you go, oh, that's why that happened. Mm -hmm. That's how that person got to be there or that's how this whole ending unfolded. It was because of all of this information that was in the middle that I forgot to look at or just conveniently didn't look at. I totally agree with you. In the guitar world, they kind of call it noodling when you start becoming proficient at at Mm -hmm. guitaring and just enjoy listening to your own melodies and your own practice going off the backbone of what somebody's created musically throughout eons of of history in musical theory Mm -hmm. Uh, it's the same thing in dog training yeah eventually you get to freestyle Mm -hmm. you get to do things where you think holy shit i'm i'm making so much sense with the dog and the dog and i are synchronizing what we're doing and how we're thinking together, like we're locked into a arithmetic section now, like mm-hmm. the dog and I totally understand each other. And that takes a little time to do that. You know, that's part of that successful long-term shaping process yep. where all of a sudden everything that you've been shaping drops into a chain. It's not that it fell into place mystically. It's by design. It had to happen that way. That's like doing anything without a goal. Like you have mm-hmm. to have the goal And then everything just sort of slots in, falls into place, and you go, there it is. Mm -hmm. It happened because of all of these processes, the disciplines, the timings, the considerations, the theory that I know, the practice that I know, the masters that coached me, everything. It Mm -hmm. all comes into play. To that point, Mm. let me read you this quote by a guy called Harrington Emerson. Harrington Emerson? Harrington Emerson. He sounds like somebody who should be rich. He probably was. He Mm. was an American efficiency engineer and business theorist. Yep. Born in 1853, died in 1931. Okay. He says, and I love this, Mm -hmm. as to methods, there may be a million and then some, but principles are few. The man who grasps principles can successfully select his own methods. Mm. Isn't that a truism? Yep. It's amazing that somebody thought about it before us. Yeah. And he put would it get together in- so eloquently, especially uh, somebody who sounds like they should be in a men's club reading a book with a. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, uh, Harrington. Nice cognac next yeah, to him. Harrington needs to Harrington. change his language and he should say, the person who grasps the principles oh, can successfully dare. select their own methods. Yes, yes, you toxic male. Well, he wouldn't get away with it these days. No, he wouldn't. Um, <laughs> nor should he. But He's so, just shaking his privilege but I love all that. over the place. As to methods, there may be a million and then some, yep. but principles are few. The man who grasps principles can successfully select his own methods. Mm. And I think that's the core of dog training right yep. there. Or the right? core of learning. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yep. All right. How do we feel? Should we carry on? Keep going. The last thing that I think stops people getting into dog training is their own limiting beliefs. Oh, yeah. That can be crippling. Yeah. Absolutely. That can be crippling. That little volume switch in your head and that narrator that we all carry around with us. 
the one that keeps us awake at night that makes you wake up and start staring at the ceiling. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about, right? Mm. We all have that inner monologue. Mm-hmm. That can be fucking deafening sometimes. So here's the thing. Yep. Those limiting beliefs, I'm not going to go too deep into the spirituality side of it just because for the most part I don't understand it myself. But <laughs> <laughs> you are not your thoughts. You are the awareness of your thoughts. So those limiting beliefs that you had, they are not held by you. You are the awareness of them. You are not the thinker of them, Mm. right? So one of the things that I learned recently and I think can be helpful is to assign those limiting beliefs to a character and then come to understand that character. Here's a limiting belief of mine. Sometimes I get nervous about the idea of traveling and teaching. Mm -hmm. This became especially evident to me when I was going to do a seminar in the States and it was, I think, the second time I'd ever been there. This was a while ago and Joe Sinante said that he was going to come and I said to him, I said, please don't come. (laughs) It's like, I don't need French Wing World Champion at my seminar, right? Because that is terrifying and the voice in my head says, you are no business teaching people around the world what to do with their dogs. You have not achieved the pinnacle of success to have a person in the room who has achieved the highest level of success in their game. You have no business offering dog training information in a room that that person is in. That person should take the stage, right? That is a limiting belief of my own. But then when I really think about that, I am not having that thought. I am aware of that thought. So what is helpful and what I think that people, you know, it's a practical step that people can do for people who are too afraid to take that next step in their dog training career, it's to develop the avatar of the person who is having that thought, right? So for me, I have this picture of this person, right, who is angry that I'm traveling and teaching people and is passing on the information that I have and doesn't think my information should be passed on. That person is probably enraged with jealousy. That person doesn't sleep well at night. That person maybe never achieved the things that they should have achieved in their life and their career and was overlooked. And of course they would feel that way Mm. if that's what happened to them, right? But that hasn't happened to me. So why the fuck do I have these thoughts? That's not me. I'm the awareness of those thoughts. I'm not the haver of those thoughts. That's this avatar character that I can attribute those thoughts to And then I can talk myself out of those thoughts when I look at that person and I go, but like, I don't really care what you think, mate. Like, I'm not there to service you. You are not the audience that I intend to to deliver this information to. And now when there are people in the room at events like that, if Joe ever turns up to a, you know, because I would welcome him to come to an event if he ever does again or wants to again, I know the value that I offer to him is he teaches people at a bigger level than I do. And maybe I will explain something in a way that he will put into his Rolodex of ways that he will explain it to his own clients and and students in the future going forward. And so by thinking about it that way, assigning that limiting belief to a real life avatar that you can create, create a fictional character around it, but give them a backstory and how did they get to that position helps you then understand, okay, that's their opinion. That's not my opinion. I'm aware of their opinion and I don't have to heed it. I don't have to listen to that. I don't have to give them that my concern because for starters, they're not real, Mm. right? They're in your head. You Mm. created them. But you can, like for me, I find that that is a helpful mechanism for 
overcoming your own limiting beliefs. So one of the limiting beliefs that I know a lot of people in our industry suffer from is very similar to mine. They've come into the dog training space with a reactive dog and the dog's not perfect. They're still managing their dog. And now they've gotten into, because they've got a genetic wreck of a dog, right? Yep. And so they've come into the space, they're educated, they're managing their dog well, and they are too afraid to go out and pass on their information to others because they're still got management and control mechanisms with their dog. Well, I can tell you, like, so do I. That's what everybody has with their dogs. Mm, mm. That's the thing. So, like, you don't see me walking down the shops with Remy. It'd be a disaster. I don't do that. He's an over-the-top Mally. I'm not putting myself in that situation. There are management protocols for every dog trainer in every space. Yep, indeed. Right? Everybody's doing that. So the fact that your nervous wreck reactive dog still blows up at the odd person now and again or barks at the end of the leash or those kinds of things every now and again does not diminish you as a trainer. The fact that you were able to get the dog to that point of being able to only have it every now and again is the feather in your cap as a trainer. And there are people who have the dog that you started with and would kill to be where you are now. And that's the sort of limiting belief that you have to shed that you have no business passing on this information because your dog's not perfect. Nobody's dog is perfect. That's one of the things that I think many people need to overcome. If I think about it hard enough, or not even really hard enough, if I think about if I put any thought process into it at all, I don't think I've ever met anybody that I can't learn something from. Mm -hmm. I think there was an arrogance process, and it's probably ebbed and flowed throughout periods of my life where I've thought, I couldn't learn anything from this person. I think that's actually very arrogant and very misleading. It's a very misleading thought to have because if I've spent enough time with anybody, sure enough, I've learned something from them. Maybe sometimes when I do learn something from them, it's also learning what not to do as well, Mm -hmm. but it's still a lesson nonetheless. There are people out there that along the lines of what you're talking about, and I'm not trying to put a dampener on this conversation because right up until now, it's been a pretty productive conversation, but there are people out there who actually do think they're killing it and they're not. And those sort of people, sometimes I think they need to change places with the person that you were talking about before. But so here's one of the things about like vague booking, right? And we're very guilty of this, me and you, because we we don't like to name people negatively. Mm -hmm. All right. So when people say, oh, all these fucking frauds in the dog training industry and they, they really have no business doing what they're doing, the people who they are talking to do not for one second think that they're talking about them. You know what I no, mean? No, that's right. They and, they think they still think they're killing it. Yeah. So I feel quite safe telling people, fuck yeah, come on, you can do this. Step it up. You're better than you think in 2023 because the people who need that pep talk, they need it. And the people who actually should maybe take a step back, maybe you need to like stop selling your information because it's shit information. They're not listening And if they were, they're not hearing it. Yep. You know what I mean? So I always feel quite safe giving people the pep talk and saying, come on, you got this, you could do this. Because the people who we don't need a pep talk, they're like, yeah, I've got it anyway. I know I kind of pied the episode in the face by saying that, but it's still something that needs to be recognized because the word that I love that you used many eons ago was pretensies. I use that quite a lot in, mm-hmm. in conversation. I think it's a really apt word to use. Playing pretensies. Playing pretensies. I, I, say, I, I like to say playing pretensies and biting for realsies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The word pretensies, I love it. So I utilize that quite a lot in day-to-day language. Uh-huh. 
Part of playing pretendies a lot online is playing the everything's going great scenario because mm-hmm. that's not true or real life either. Everything's not great all the time. It's nice when it is and it's better to look forward to it when it's not. But, I mean, life is not great all the time. Mm. You know, you're not doing great all the time. You're not killing it all the time. Mm. But there are certainly people who are doing far better and there are some people who are doing worse and they they are literally stuck on this shit show train wreck that they don't actually acknowledge it. You're right. They don't listen. They don't acknowledge it. I think for people going forward into next year, I think you really need to sometimes – just not get so hell-bent and stuck onto, I'm mentoring under somebody, they've got popular social media, they're going to lead me to Valhalla. You'll probably find that they'll lead you somewhere other than that and it's not in a good place. And they'll shallow you out. They'll literally drown you in the small bucket of water that they're dunking <laughs> your head in. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever see that Robin Williams movie, One Hour Photo? Do you see that? Yep. Yeah, so that's kind of the thing of that, right? So he's developing everybody's photos and all he sees is their happy moments within their photos. He thinks that everybody has these amazing lives and he hates his own. And I think that is pre-social media. I should watch that again. It's a pretty old movie. I I saw it at the cinema. So I saw it however old it is, that's when I saw it. But I think that that's more relevant now than ever in that we all see the – the hugs and puppies posts. And I'll admit, you know, I have so many different friends on Facebook who I don't know, right? Like just, Mm. I I don't know them at all. You see people who are posting about their lives falling apart. I don't know these people from Adam. Like I I wouldn't know them if I walked past them on the street. I have no idea who they are. They're posting about their lives falling apart. And I always think like, that's such an odd thing to post. And every now and again, I'll have a look and that's all they post. And then there's people who like only post the good And so I think social media is the extremes because there's a new one called Be Real. Have you seen that? Your camera, both of them go at the same time. Oh, the front and the back. Yes. Yes. My colleague showed it to me last night when we were having dinner. Yeah. So it's probably going to fail because it's so boring. Mm. Right? Like like (laughs) nobody watches anybody's stuff because you can't pre-record, you can't edit, and it's like 30 seconds a day. Yep. The idea is great. It's meant to be real, right? Nobody cares because that's – Like, that's life. I I can see my own life. I don't want to see your, like, 30-second snapshot of your life. Well, Clubhouse fizzled quite extensively for that real reason as well because it got just a little bit too real. Yeah. I think it was you who made a point, you know, like, people can be genuinely confronted right there and then. Yeah. And if they can't come up the the answer, it exposes them as being a fraud. Yeah. Well, we saw that early on. Like a lot of the – when Clubhouse was becoming popular in the dog training space where it was all – we were talking about, everyone was talking about. Yeah, absolutely. The people who were like, oh, fuck that, I hate it, were like, oh, that's because you don't get to completely troll it, control the narrative and mm. people can actually ask you questions. And when you have a large following – it's very easy to just sort of read your own press conferences. Mm, mm. I think that's one of the things that is very dangerous for like the ego is when you put out information because you want it to be seen. And that's fair enough. You're building a brand, you're doing the things, you're making your living. But then when the audience repeat that back to you and you then believe it to be the case, even though you know it not to be. And I think we've seen that play out many times. And that's what happened with a lot of people in Clubhouse where then it wasn't their controlled audience. They curated their fans essentially. And people were able to ask them poignant questions. And it's like, oh, I don't have a good answer to that or no answer at all. I will silence you back into the void. Yeah. And (laughs) and you couldn't just block people and delete their comments and, you know, stuff like that. You couldn't curate. Yes. 
Well, it was interesting. It, it was, was interesting. interesting. It was a it was an interesting concept to start with, and for a while it got legs. For a while it started to bridge some gaps. It really started to get people to speak to each other who would have no opportunity to do so. Mm. You know, in, in the last episode we did one of the things that it's a critique that I share. One of the things that often with the balance community, you never really get to have a say in the plus R community. You are you are literally like silenced. Mm-hmm. You don't have a, a narrative. You don't have a voice. And Clubhouse sort of stopped that for a bit of time. You know, yeah. like people got to actually come into groups and, and especially the open mic groups where people were invited up and everyone got to stay in the room mm. unless you just rage quit and left because you didn't want to hang around and be a part of that. But it kind of encouraged people earlier on to do it. Mm. And then I think people thought, well, I just don't have any more information other than that same one horse show mm. to go around. And that was an interesting concept. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot I could say on that. Yes, there is. There's one last thing that's important for passing on to people who are looking to step it up in 2023. Before you say that, you mentioned it before about certain personality traits. And there was an episode where you and I were chatting a while ago and you were kind of upbeat about this subject matter. And I can't remember what it was, but somebody messaged me and they said, oh, Pat's very optimistic and you can sometimes be pessimistic. And I said, yeah, I get that. I know why you would think that. And I said, but I don't think of myself as a pessimistic person. I think of myself as being a realistic person that I like to bounce frequently between both of them because the longer you live, the more you see, the more you experience. And it doesn't mean you know it all. You certainly don't. You can have people that can be young and wise and you can have people that can be old and close-minded and every variation in between that as well. I can be pessimistic for sure, but I like to sort of sit in realism a little bit more in life, thinking in between optimism and pessimism. But I take it on board. Sometimes I can be pessimistic. Wow. There you go. I like to try and see the good when I can. Yeah. You're more optimistic than I am. I think, though, I like to give things the opportunity to go wrong Mm. rather than just assume that they will because I don't always, you know? I remember very, very early in my career where I wanted to try and be friends with everybody and try and unite the industry. And and I think it was Alec Jones that said it to me at the start. And I remember on Luke and Panos's podcast, I was talking about this and Alec shared a quote with me. I don't know the author of the quote, so I'm probably even bastardizing it completely. But the subject of the quote was, he who tries to befriend everybody is a friend to nobody. Mm. And I thought about that a lot over my careers of my life. And I thought that's actually really true. I felt that it was better for me to choose a side sometimes rather than to try and pretend there are no sides or sit on the fence. Another good saying is that the only thing that will happen to you from sitting on the fence is getting an asshole full of splinters. Mm. And I think about things like that on a regular basis because where I have tried not to take a side in the story, both those people on those sides are both pissed with me at the end. Mm. You know, like I lose from those opportunities or those relationships because I've lost the confidence of either one of those parties. And I thought, fuck, I really should have stood up for the right side on that situation. For me, I guess that's where my realism likes to spend from. Like sometimes I get carried away. I'm human. Sometimes I make a mistake in the way that I think about things or how something went down. It doesn't mean that I always choose the right side, but nonetheless, I still chose. And I think sometimes to be in the game, you've got to be a player. Mm, True. Are you ready for the last thing? Yeah, yeah. 
2023. Yes. You got to set a goal. Yeah, I agree. This is one thing I know of myself is like, just do better. <sighs> oh, that's like my favorite quote. Yeah. Mayor Angelou's quote. Yeah. But when you get, when you go like, oh, I'm just going to do better. So, you know, health and fitness is one of the things that I've struggled with my whole life. I'm just not good at it. Right. <sighs> I've said it before. I've been fit and I've been fat and being fat is so much more fun. Tell it, me about it. it. I've, <laughs> I've, lived, I've lived that that career path. That COVID just got me straight back into that funk of thinking, fuck, cake is just too delicious. It's so delicious. Yeah. It is. But so every time that I am like, no, I need to get in shape again. I need to sort my shit out. I'm just going to do a bit better. That is a load of shit. You're not going to do any fucking better. You're going to flap around. You're going to tell yourself you are. What a load of bullshit. You have to set a goal. Mm. You have to set like benchmarks and so that you know whether you're on the path or whether you're off the path and you need to be able to course correct. And when in the setting of a goal, the goal needs to be achievable and the goal needs to be measurable. And I think that's one of the things that I'm super encouraging people who want to step up their game next year in 2023 in their dog training career or hobby or whatever is set a goal. And that goal should be something that is possible to be done and this time next year, you should be able to reflect and go, did I or did I not achieve it? And you should also then break down the steps of what it's going to take to achieve that goal. Mm. And I think that often when people are goal setting, you know, we, we talk about, okay, what's a realistic goal? What are you going to achieve with your dog or with your business or whatever it is? And then what are the steps? How are you, What are you practically going to do along the way to get those things done? Be realistic about what's possible and attribute the possibilities going forward to the average version of you. Because what a lot of people do is when they look at like what is achievable, they look at what is achievable by them on their best day, mm. right? And you're not going to be you on your best day every day of the year. You're going to be you on your best day for like 20 of those days. The rest of them is going to be average you and some of them are going to be the shittiest version of you where you get nothing done. Where you're hungover. Yeah. Yeah. All that. Right. Some days you're just going to go, fuck this. And when you say you can, you can write the book or you can stare at the blank screen, you're going to stare at that blank fucking screen for three hours and do nothing. Defiantly. <laughs> right? Fuck you, blank screen. Yeah. And that's who you are. Yeah. So set a goal and have benchmarks like that you can see along the way. Am I making progress towards that goal and keep it achievable so that you don't demotivate yourself by setting a boundary too far, setting like something that's unachievable and don't make it so easily achievable that it seems like it's not worth doing at all. That's my plan for 2023. Mm. I can add to that by just saying buy the book Atomic Habits Mm -hmm. by James Clear Mm because it's a fucking awesome book. Mm -hmm. Read it and then when you lose your way, go back and reread it Mm -hmm. because that's what I have done a couple of times when I've lost my way and I've needed to re-engage and motivate myself or – just rewind what Pat said in the last 10 minutes and listen to that all over again. <laughs> I think it's sage advice what you just said. I don't think, I believe it's sage advice what you just said. I believe what you have just put together there is a good list for how somebody can improve their life incrementally and basically without making it too difficult for themselves. Yeah. And that's why I do like that book as well, Atomic Habits. I actually think it's one of the best books I've ever read to date on self-help. Mm-hmm. There's so many self-help books out there that are just, it's selling that narrative which you literally painted out before where the person is trying to get you to look at the best version of yourself and try and consistently be that person. But that is fictitious. Yeah. 
That is absolute nonsense. And that's why people fail because they think I can't maintain this perfection all the time. Perfection is one of the ultimate fuckery goals in life. Perfection is paralysis. It is. Yeah, yeah. That's nicely said. Yeah. Mm. I didn't say it. I stole that. Well, whoever said it, you quoted it. I'm, yeah, I I'm, said it now. Yeah. It's mine now. I like you. it. Yeah. Perfection is paralysis. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. On that goal setting, this is one of the things that we see people with their dogs and their dog training, their careers and whatever, is that they just look at the end point. And as dog trainers, we should know much better than that. We should know that you need the reinforcers along the way. Right? Well, the end points are shifting needle as well. Let me tell you. Yeah. You can have it there as the end goal. That's fine. But be prepared for that to shuffle along to the right or to the left. Yeah. That's the weird funk that you get there with that end goal is, yeah, the image is there, but realize it's okay for that image to modify. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to accept that. When you realize sometimes there is going to be some limitations in this dog that I didn't expect and this is it, there is no better that I can do, realize that the needle shift, and it's okay. Mm. The great thing is, is even though it may not be exactly what you wanted, you can go away with the belief that you did the best that you could. Mm -hmm. And I think that's comforting in itself to know that when you realize it's disappointing, I didn't get what I want, but I did the best that I could. And so did the dog. Therefore, the next time I do this with my next dog or my supplement dog or my working dog or whatever, you learned a shitload of stuff from that. Totally. And that's where I see people fall over and tip over sometimes is because they think that was a failure. I don't think so at all. I think that sometimes that is some of the funnest stuff to learn along the way. It's frustrating the moment you're in it, but when you look back, you think, my God, that was invaluable. Mm. I think, as I was just sort of alluding to, I think as dog trainers, we should know better about how dopamine works and about reinforcement schedules and stuff like that. And what I see is that we often set goals that it's an achievable goal, but you're not going to actually tick that box for three, four, five, six, ten months. Yep. Right? So setting that as an endpoint goal but then identifying what are the action steps that I take along that way means that every time you tick one of those boxes, a little dopamine hit happens, right? Like you are successful and you are driven to tick the next box. And that looks like, you know, say you're getting into PSA and you want to do a PDC, which is like our entry level test, right? Which is a, a difficult test for many people and mm. dogs. So, okay, I want to do that. That is a shit goal to have. What you really should look at, you've got your new dog, is you go, okay, I want to build the power in my gameplay that I can use as a reinforcer. Okay, tick, I've got that. Okay, now I need a good out because I need to be able to restart this game. Okay, tick, I've got that. Okay, now I need just a basic position. That's all I need. I don't need to be walking around doing fancy healing. I just need the dog to be able to enter a heal position. Mm. Okay, sweet, got that. Okay, now I need to be able to take a couple of steps. And if you write those out, like, and that's the, I think that's the function of a coach is somebody who can say to you, like, this is the path. You don't need to do these things in this particular order, but this is how that behavior will grow, right? From little things, big things grow. So this is the step, this is a step, this is a step. And so you can proceed along the way and you can write those things down or someone else can write them down for you, whatever. And you can put your pen on that paper and tick it or cross it off or do whatever it is and say, I have an out now. Now I can go on to using that out in, in the next step and I can then use that to build the next step and mm. build that to do the next step. And that way you stay super motivated because you're constantly achieving goals. You will be reinforced for your efforts 
prior to the behavior going extinct. Yeah, they're achievable thresholds. Exactly. Mm. And that's what I think within your own training and whether it's your training, whether it's you becoming a professional, whether it's you setting up your business, whether it's you like structuring your life to allow you to go from the hobby to the jobby, whatever it is, Mm. setting up those individual small goals so that you can tick them off going like, yeah, I have achieved something onto the next task rather than just saying, I'm going to start a dog training business. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to get a logo made. I'm going to do that. I'm going to come up with a name. Okay. I'm going to do that. I'm going to build a little website. Okay. I've done that. Tick all these boxes because starting a dog training business is a fucking huge task. Yeah. And if you try and just chomp into that, you're fucked. You're going to give up. Yep. But you just go one little bit at a time. Okay. One little bit at a time. I'm going to get a couple of paying clients. Sweet. I've done that. Okay. Now I'm going to look for some referrals into that. Like, ticking those boxes little by little along the way. Mm. And then all of a sudden it's the end of the year and you can look back and go, Hey, not only can you then assess, you can say, you know, where did I fall off the wagon? What went well? Did I overshoot my goal? Did I undershoot it? What happened along the way? But you will have built momentum and now your goals will, the actual goal will seem just another step on the way. It won't seem like this huge mountain that has to be climbed. It's just the next step in front of you. (sighs) Sage advice, sir. That's it. Yeah. Good place to leave it. Fuck yeah. (laughs) you can do this guys yeah you can we can do this the reason i want this for you as a listener is no matter who you are you know we probably have listeners in three spaces right we have hobbyists or people who just need help with their dog right and like in a bandwidth of people who just have their own dog and are learning to train it or live with it whatever they're interested in dog training and that band probably goes to the people who are hobbyists about to get in, like maybe want to play a game with their dog, do some sort of sport. Then there's another band of people, I think, and those people are either professionals or not necessarily they work full-time in the dog industry, but they do something at a high level with their dog. They mm. compete, they show, they dog their dog people through and through. It's a big part of their life. And then I think the last part of our bands, the last band of audience that we have are our peers, right? Like people yep. who are as good and better than us at training and are just interested because they're interested in what's going on in the zeitgeist. And for every one of you, I want good things for you next year and I want you to do more in the industry because I think the people who are listening to us, our community of people, the people, the, the community that we've built within the dog training space I think is one of the better ones Mm. and I want good for you and I want that community to grow and I want that community to spread more into the dog training space because you are the moderate people. You are the people who can actually train dogs. You are not the frauds of the industry. And I want, I want there to be more people doing good things for dogs. Yep. There's a saying that comes to mind when I'm been thinking back on this episode and the evolution of where it started and where it ended now. And I think it's a Zen proverb which says, fall down seven times, stand up eight. Mm. It's something that's inspired me throughout my life. There have been many times where I fell over and I thought I got very comfortable staying in a fallen over position, but it's just reminded me to keep going, like keep going, keep getting up, keep going through the struggle. It is worth it. Really, it is worth it, guys. There are very few people that I know throughout personal life, dog training careers, work careers, whatever, that have that amazing, everything is going great day all the time. I think you stipulated it before where you said you might have 20 of those days in the year Mm. and the rest of the days can be a fucking hard day, but that's okay. It gives you something to look forward to when the days are better. You know, like hard days are often the reminder that there are better days ahead and they're not always bad. There are literally days where things can actually turn around. 
you start seeing progress and you start feeling good and you start believing in yourself a lot more. So if I can give you anything, all of the people that I regularly speak to have those days. Some are just, they're more guarded at it or they're more shielded at it. They don't sort of let on because some people don't identify with it. Some people see it as a weakness where other people see it as a strength and they realize becoming who I am and the evolution of my own journey, who I need to be is just a human being through my life, what I'm trying to project, who I'm trying to become as a husband, a wife, a father, a sister, a brother, a dog trainer, a nurse, a doctor, whatever it is, is some of my life will be pretty ordinary and others will be amazing. Just keep going, guys. Keep pushing forward. I think that was a really nice salient message that you put through. You got this. You got this. Can I just ask everyone, I know we've said this a few times and I don't want to make our problem your problem, People have asked us in before on Instagram when they've messaged and said, love your show. Is there anything I can do for you? Here's something that you can do for us. We don't ask much from our listeners. We don't really try and monetize this or put too many things through paywalls, but we do have a Patreon account. We've had some very generous people who have bought in at very high levels, even people who have just stayed with us from literally from the moment we started right up until now. And they've Mm -hmm. just kept a little tab running along. What I wouldn't mind asking, you know that I wouldn't ask these much, but we just got fucking wiped out with a massive fucking Australian government tax bill, Mm -hmm. which was bound to happen since we had to register everything. And to be honest, we've got some real fruits from this. Everything, all these nice gadgets that we've got on our table came from Patreon. Mm -hmm. All All the things that we've got and all the things that we're very grateful for that we get to contribute to the show all came through Patreon. Mm hmm If you want to give back to us, if that's what you're asking, if that's the question that you're putting to me when I've been answering you back, here it is. Here's the cell that I'm I'm going to put forward. There's so many people in our discussion group now. I think there's almost 9,000 people or something like that. Let's say if every one of those people just went on the $1 tier, it would change our landscape in Patreon, Mm. completely change it. Mm. That would make an entire difference to us. To some people, money is money and whatever bracket you fall into, sometimes it can be nothing. It can be couch change and to other people it can make a difference. So we get that. We're not unreasonable people or try and shame you into doing anything. Just asking as a favor, if you could look at that, that would be a game changer for us. That would change our landscape in what we're trying to do with the podcast going forward. The only way that we can sort of grow this now and get to an even better level and try and raise some goals that Pat and I have spoken out is we just need finances to do it. Mm. Maybe you could help us do that. You could even point it out to other people. It'd be great Christmas present. I'd love to see a bit of a change in the the whole Patreon landscape. It would really make a bit of a difference to uh, what we could offer long-term. I agree. Okay. (laughs) Hey, that's it. Yep. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Fuck yeah, you got this. Mm. I don't know if we'll have another one will come out before the end of the year. I don't know. I think we need to do a circle jerk, don't we? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, isn't this is a bit of a circle jerk? This is a, this is a circle pep up. Yeah. Maybe the next one we can just do a massive circle jerk. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sweet. Yep. Yeah. People would be disappointed not to end the year getting jerked. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for another episode of Canon Paradigm. Mm. Merry fucking Christmas. Yeah, all indeed. of that. And you got this for 2023. Step indeed. it up. Yep. You've got this. Yep. If you want to support the show, as Glenn said, jump into Patreon. That's the best way to do that. You could get T-shirts and cool shit like that. I have to admit, every time I see someone wearing one of our shirts, it so gives cool, me a little it? like warm and fuzzy. Yeah, like um, our our little dog faces all over the world in yep. different regions, in different areas, yep. at seminars, wearing the artwork of people like Katrina Marion, of your wife, Jane yep. Stewart, of Zoe Needy, yep. of Avery. Yep. There's so many people who contributed and gave to us and they were so generous in doing so. They and we were. love them for it. 
They were. Yep. So you get some of that. If you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is jump into the discussion group. That is the place. Or you could choose an email. We are info at the counterparadigm.com. Goodbye. You got this. Fuck yeah, you got this. Come on. <laughs> We'd sound like Rick and Morty show now. <laughs> <laughs>